Welcome back everyone uh, to our weekly webinar series, Successful Strategies for Shaping Your Future, brought to you in partnership by URSA, Club Solutions, and Rex Executive Roundtables. I'm Brent Darden, and this week we're focusing on how to support your local military community. Today's session is sponsored by MXM and BMC3. So we appreciate that. And joining me are returning panelists and uh, really big time gamblers, if you don't know. First, Blair <laughs> McCaney, who's CEO of MXM and owner of the works of Wenatchee. And Bill McBride, who's co-founder, president, and CEO of Active Wellness. And our distinguished guests this week, first we have Stephanie Kulan, who's the membership and uh, marketing director at the Stone Creek Club and Spa down in Louisiana. She's been on our panel one time before, so welcome back, Stephanie. Uh, and our two esteemed guests, first of all, Mary Martinez, who's the Chief of Staff and Deputy Commander of the U.S. Army Center for Initial Military Training, and Colonel Kevin Beagleman, who's the Director of Holistic Health and Fitness for the U.S. Army Center for Initial Military Training. So welcome and uh, thank both of you for your service, first of all. So given that it's uh, Veterans Day, um, we have a little history uh, and I'll, I wanna let the audience in on it because I thought it's, uh, it's really quite interesting and hopefully you'll find it entertaining as well. Uh, first of all, I'll start and then I'll turn it over to Blair and Bill who have quite a history with their fathers in the military service. My father served in the military, first of all. And my young, oldest son is currently serving in Kabul. He graduated from the Air Force Academy. Uh, he's returning in December and will be promoted to major uh, after he gets back here to the States. So uh, I have a little bit of history with the military in my family. Uh, and I'm gonna let uh, Blair go first. He's got uh, some medals there behind him uh, and I'll let him explain what those are and a little bit about uh, his father's legacy. You know, my uh, my dad served uh, 12 years in the uh, in the Marine Corps and technically was a World War II vet, but he doesn't like to claim that because he was ne never saw action. He was uh, in the Korean War and is one of the uh, chosen few. So that's the that is the members of the USMC and Army that served at the Chosen Reservoir. Um, I've had the honor of every two years uh taking him back to his chosen few reunion and so my dad on on in fact november 9th monday november 9th is both my dad and my mom's birthdays but, but my dad turned 93 on on monday and so we have a little celebration for his birthday he does not like to celebrate his birthday we grew up november 10th is the 245th birthday of the u.s marine corps that was last night and then tonight we'll have a toast to all veterans. So that's our that's our three day uh, that we spend um, every year uh, on on that. So thanks, and, and right. thank you, thank you guys for your service. Also, all right. And Bill, you've got quite the story as well with your dad. Yeah, I'm an Army brat um, that never moved. Um, my dad uh, my dad was the command sergeant major of the 82nd Airborne Division, and he uh, he grew up in Philadelphia. The Army saved his life. Um, found the Army, joined when he was young, um, was in Vietnam in 69 and 70. He uh, dealt with all kinds of different uh, combat situations. He parachuted into Panama when we went after Noriega. He was in Desert Shield. 
He did some other things in the Dominican Republic with some riots. Um, but uh, but I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and he he would go overseas or uh, come back to Fort Bragg. And um, and so uh, esteemed uh, military hero, and um, he's deceased now. And um, very proud of his service. And then my brother-in-law coaches the lacrosse team as a civilian at uh, at West Point. So I get to go to West Point and learn about the history. But uh, one of my biggest regrets is is not serving. And uh, I have a lot of respect for all of those that serve. And I want to thank you both that uh, that serve in our country. And and also uh, I just think that uh, a lot of us sometimes take for granted our freedoms and and take for granted those that serve. So. I, uh, I toast you guys that serve on the call yeah. and, and throughout throughout the country. Agreed. All right, Stephanie, you want to give everybody a little perspective on uh, your background and responsibilities there at Stone Creek? Sure, I'm happy to. So I'm here today representing Stone Creek Club and Spa. We are um, a high-end health club about an hour north of New Orleans. Um, we serve just about 5,000 members um, with full amenities from 14 tennis courts and five new pickleball courts to indoor fitness, group fitness, uh, an award-winning spa or cafe child care. Um, so we certainly serve our community well. One of the key principles to the club's mission, though, is also serving the community um, and making a positive difference in the communities in which we live and to those people um, around us. And I believe that that may be a part of why I have been able to join this esteemed panel today. So I look forward to sharing a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Y'all been uh, leaders, I think, across the entire fitness industry with some of the unique things we've done. Um, and Stone Creek's been a leader in that regard for many, many years. So thank you for coming today, Stephanie. Thank you. Uh, Mary, I'll go back to you next. I, I shared your title with everyone, but if you could just add a little uh, explanation about what exactly that means. What, what are your responsibilities? and if you could give us a little brief on that, that'd be great. Sure, um, thank you. Um, uh, as the deputy commander and the chief of staff at the, at the Center of Initial Military Training, uh, the, the Center of Initial Military Training is responsible for all health and fitness for the Army. So they're the proponent for creating the Army Combat Fitness Test. And, um, and as you know, Kevin's role is, they're also the proponent for uh, holistic health and fitness. Um, and so what I do is herd cats <laughs> as the chief of staff, making sure that we uh, meet all suspenses and all that. That's the rather boring side of what I do. But the, the exciting side is the development of um, the holistic health and fitness, uh, helping Kevin in any way I can. And, um, and then watching, watching those two initiatives move forward to build better readiness and um, and health for our soldiers, reducing injuries and um, hoping that at the end, once we can get this off, off the ground, seeing soldiers come out of the military healthier than they were when they came in is what we're trying to do. Great, great, great uh, goals. All right, uh, Colonel Beagleman, I'll let you go next. Uh, thanks, everybody, and thanks uh, for having us here. Mary and I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, I, like uh, Bill, am an Army brat, so I grew up in an Army family, moving every couple years all over the U.S., Germany, and I like that lifestyle, so I decided to attend uh, the United States Military Academy at West Point and uh, graduated 
1993, and then went on to serve uh, a career as an artilleryman. So cannons and rockets and missiles are kind of my line of work. Uh, but about halfway through my career, I got into um, the physical education department at West Point and got back into teaching. And I, and I found that I loved that uh, opportunity to influence and inspire cadets. So I, I had several assignments uh, at West Point in the Department of Physical Education. And, um, you know, as I get closer to the end of my career, um, I, I was asked to come down to the Center of Initial Military Training to work on the Holistic Health and Fitness Initiative for the Army. And what we're really trying to do is, is change the culture of, of fitness and health in the Army. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not solely about the physical domain, as, as we all know, there are other domains like sleep and nutrition and the mental aspects of performance that are important. And so we're trying to, uh, to uh, take that knowledge and infuse it throughout the Army. And we're also doing um, things like putting subject matter experts, so physical therapists, occupational therapists, registered dietitians, cognitive enhancement specialists, um, and strength and conditioning coaches down at the soldier level to help soldiers become more fit, more healthy, and ultimately prevent uh, musculoskeletal injuries that are plaguing our army right now. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here. No, we appreciate uh, you being here for sure. Kevin and I were sharing for those of you uh, that are on the call today, before we started, I, it's been almost two decades ago, I did quite a bit of consulting with the uh, military branches actually on military readiness and uh, wellness. And they're faced with a lot of challenges, again, not just physical, as you alluded to, Kevin, but also emotional, uh, mental health is a really big issue, uh, as well as addictions and everything that uh, transpires in the normal society is really apparent in the military culture as well. That's right, Brent. We are a reflection of society. And, um, you know, we're certainly challenged by uh, some of those issues that you you uh, brought up. but you know, our leaders are working to figure out a way to to help reduce those, certainly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, our topic today is how health and fitness clubs can help support the local military community. Obviously, there's big fans of the military on this call. All of us are, you know, are all in uh, about supporting the military. But more specifically, Mary, if you or Kevin can uh, give the people listening who are probably club operators some advice about how they might support the efforts that you're undertaking uh, for people that are in their communities, either actively serving or preparing to serve or or post-service, one of the three. Mary, you wanna go first? Okay. Um, really, I think what, what health clubs can do, and, and you know what I, what I didn't say in the beginning is that I am a, um, I'm an active duty officer that's paid by the Army Reserve. So I go, I tend to be, right now I'm in an active duty installation, but oftentimes I am in different locations where I don't have active duty facilities, you know, for fitness centers. So in times like that, when you have Army Reservists and National Guards that have no other choice but to use your your facility, I think the most important thing is, is the research that your wellness staff can do to make sure you understand the requirements uh, for our testing and the equipment that we need and to be able to help them, especially with our new tests coming out, our soldiers don't necessarily know how to train for this. It's a huge adjustment from what um, our previous test was 
to a more, you know, as Kevin said, a more holistic and a multifunctional type of training that they're not necessarily accustomed to. So if your wellness staff has a full understanding of what our testing requirements are, I think it will greatly benefit soldiers that, that are uh, daily using your facilities daily. Okay, great. And we're going to get into that in a little bit about exactly what some of those activities are. Uh, go ahead, Bill. No, I, I love what Mary just said. You know, when a soldier comes, you know, especially a new new soldier comes on base, you know, they like to get off base a lot of times. And they like to have the social interaction and, and be away from that for periods of time. So a lot of the soldiers, when I ran clubs in Fayetteville, North Carolina, they would use the military facilities, which were first grade, stellar, but they also might have a membership off base. And, uh, and they would do that for more social reasons to, to get off base and get away from their kind of daily, daily grind. So I think that, you know, to Mary's point about the National Guard, and the readiness, educating the staff, I've had many opportunities having health clubs, commercial health clubs in military towns. Um, and I've also done contracting with the military. Um, I ran some clubs right outside the Pentagon for sport and health. And I had an Air Force blanket purchase agreement. I had a Navy contract. You know, so a lot of times soldiers and officers are deployed away from bases, such as the Pentagon, and they're in office environments without access to military facilities. So being able to, you know, either have a, mine was a blanket purchase agreement, but some of them are, you know, sole source, some of them are RFP kind of things, but, but knowing the process to partner with the military where you can add value where they might not have the facilities um, on top of what Mary was saying with the readiness. So I want, you know, think broader, think corporate membership, think, think, think broader, because these soldiers, um, they need, you know, socialization, they need support, and sometimes they're deployed away from facilities. Yeah, yeah, good comments, Bill. Kevin, you want to add anything to Mary's comments or Bill's? Yeah, no, I think they were uh, both right on target. I would uh, just add maybe that uh, perhaps, you know, reaching out to guard and reserve or these uh, soldiers that are at uh, remote locations uh, to establish a connection might be the first step and, you know, seek out what, what they are interested in, in uh, what they need, what the requirements are. You know, we, we run a, uh, a test called the OPAT. That's the Occupational Physical Assessment Test for new recruits. So if, if a civilian wants to join the Army, he'll take this test called the OPAT. It's, it's uh, four events, and based on his performance or her performance, will determine which uh, military occupational specialty they are able to, to select. So if you perform at the highest level, then everything is open to you. If you perform at the lowest level, then you know certain doors close. So you know a, a partnership between a facility and a, a recruit where they could uh, understand the test, train for the test, perhaps uh, get coaching to get better at the test would, would certainly benefit. Um, a person that's interested in serving the army and then you know once once they are in the army our test of record now is the army combat fitness test which is a little bit challenging uh, more challenging certainly than our, our last physical fitness test and uh, would uh, certainly require uh, coaching if if uh, a soldier needed it uh, and, and perhaps a, a club could assist with that right and doesn't that represent also uh, isn't that a recent and dramatic departure from the former test, which was sit-ups, push-ups, pull-ups, I think. Uh, right, you're you're close. It's the former test was called the Army Physical Fitness Test, the APFT, 
and it was two minutes of push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups, and a two-mile run. Okay. So it, it it tested muscular endurance and aerobic, but it didn't get after anything else. So um, over the last several years, through scientific research, the Army has uh, developed a new test called the Army Combat Fitness Test, the ACFT. We have to have acronyms for everything in the Army, but it's a it's a six-event test, and now the events are a deadlift, so a strength mm -hmm. deadlift. A, a standing power throw, a hand release push up, a event that we call the sprint drag carry, which is a 250 meter shuttle run. Um, there's a, a leg tuck event and then the two mile run. So it really does get after the skills that we demand of soldiers in combat, like strength, power, coordination, agility, balance, anaerobic and aerobic. It's a much, yeah. much better, better test, certainly. Yeah, yeah. it's more real life scenarios, right? Uh, right, right. It's patterned after things you would expect people to do in the objective of their career. There, right. Um, you know, you can look at each of the events and figure out why we we added them to the test. For example, the leg tuck, where you suspend yourself on a bar, execute a half a pull up, and then move your knees to your elbows, replicates you know getting into a window or getting up onto a shelf or a wall. The sprint drag carry, um, where you carry um, there's there's six legs of it event and on one leg you sprint down and sprint back then you grab 40 pound kettlebells sprint down and sprint back you know that replicates carrying ammunition cans then you drag a sled backwards replicates carrying a litter um, to get a wounded comrade off off the battlefield so yes it's it's directly tied to the the skills that we need in uh, combat for sure and um, you know I've taken the test myself several times I've watched the test being uh, being administered the neat thing about this test compared to the other tests is that um, soldiers are competing against each other. And, you know, we, we have it set up in, in lanes. And you, you move uh, through the test in groups of four in lanes. And so you're always competing against uh, the person to your left and right. There's camaraderie, there's there's uh, motivation, there's cheering. So it's, it's a much better test than our previous version that we had for the last 40 years. Colonel, how'd you do on it? I did pretty well for an old guy. <laughs> the, the neat thing about the neat thing about this test is that it's it's age and gender scoring neutral. So it doesn't matter where, whether you're a 50 year old male or an 18 year old female, you're still um, expected to perform um, to meet minimum standards to, to be in the army and to wear the uniform. You know, combat doesn't care how old you are or if you're a male or a female. It, it cares that you can do your job, and, and that's what we care about in the army. Colonel, can yeah, you tell we, us one more time, was it the Occupational Physical Activity Test, OPAT? Assessment test, Occupational Physical Assessment Test. Thank you. Just designed to figure out uh, where you are physically and match that with the um, military occupational specialty that, uh, you know, is associated with those physical demands. Are there other and, tests besides yeah. the Occupational Test and the Combat Fitness Readiness Test? Are there other tests besides those two? Yep. We also have a uh, combat water survival test, so a CWST. And uh, you know, even though we're a land-based force, we certainly operate in and around the water, uh, whether it's rivers or on boats or, or uh, you know, in any kind of aquatic environment, we're prepared to uh, keep ourselves uh, afloat and alive. Yeah, the, you know, we were laughing before, Kevin, because back when I worked at the Cooper Institute for Research, we did a lot of the training on the old school 
uh, you know, military tests that I think Dr. Cooper really pioneered, who, who was in the military himself, of course, for those that don't remember. Uh, but it's long since been needing a change for sure. So congratulations right. on that. Yeah, I I, uh, I joined the team after the test was already established. So I give credit to uh, a guy named Dr. Chip East, who's uh, had a long career at West Point and uh, East Tennessee State University, and then now in in our, our organization. But he really um, moved the test into the the scientific age and got us where we should be, along with uh, Mr. Michael McGurk. So awesome. those gentlemen deserve a lot of credit. And Brent, I'd also add too, you know, we are a reflection of society as we talked about before. And so when you've got kids that grow up without physical education, compulsory K through 12, you know, we've got to meet the incoming uh, soldiers or trainees where they're at. So um, I would prefer a, a mandatory PE system and sports and, you know, throughout the, uh, a child's upbringing, but uh, that's not what we're seeing today. So uh, this, the OPAT helps us get after the skills that the individual brings to the Army. And then once they get in the Army and they receive proper training, the Army Combat Fitness Test ensures that they're fit uh, enough to wear the, the uniform. Yeah, so I was reading a, a research paper done by the Pentagon back in uh, 2017. And in that, they were sharing that 71% of young Americans that are thinking about getting into the military, that sort of 17 to 24-year-old age group, but 71% of them right off the bat wouldn't qualify. That's right. Because they overweight, don't. Yeah, yeah, overweight, obesity, behavioral health issues, educational issues, um, eliminate a lot of folks. So that leaves about 30%. And of those, um, there's only a certain amount that are propensed to serve in the, in the military. So our population is is getting smaller, I think. Yeah, and then one more question. Stephanie, I know we're ignoring you, but we're coming to you in a minute. Uh, but Kevin once and Mary, once people get into the military and they begin their careers, it also is really a, a challenge to keep people physically ready and physically fit, right? They have to continually every year, you know, perform these tests and it's not good for the individual, nor is it good for the taxpayer or the military for these people to drop out or have to be kicked out. And so it's not only getting in, but it's staying in. Am I right? I, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, we spend a lot of money um, from the, you know, the first contact with an individual to get them to their first unit of assignment. Um, and, and if they attrit during that time, you know, that's money that's, that's lost forever. So we, we don't, once, once, uh, they, they're committed to the Army, we're committed to them, and we want to keep them in the Army. And, you know, the, the neat thing about the Army is that we've got dedicated physical training time every day. So typically it's in, in the morning really early, uh, but it's it's dedicated time where soldiers are in, in a group train um, to, to uh, prepare for uh, the rigors of combat and, and secondarily to, to take the uh, Army combat fitness test twice a year. Yeah, great, great. Um, and do you know what, uh, you or Mary know what uh, the average statistics are, maybe not across all the academies, but in Army of the, uh, you know, what's the fallout rate that are not able to pass the test annually, just approximately even? Um, Mary, do you want to take that or do you want me to handle that one? Uh, you, you can take that, Kevin. Okay, that's a, that's a hard one. It, it's It's tough to say right now because we're just instituting the test um, the, the new Army Combat Fitness Test, the, the previous test had, had very high pass rates, um, two minutes of push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups, and a two-mile run. 
uh, is not very difficult. But this test certainly adds rigor to, um, to, to the testing environment. Uh, we, we are challenged in, on certain events. For example, the leg tuck um, is giving uh, certain folks in the Army a challenge to suspend on a bar, to do that half a pull-up, to, to bring your knees to your elbows. Uh, is, is proving challenging for those that haven't trained the, the posterior chain, the muscles on your back. Um, but we found that when you do train for the test, uh, you, you do have success. So um, I, I don't have the, the percentage of exactly on, off the top of my head, but uh, I think every day that we, we move forward with the new test and the new training protocols, we're making progress to getting higher pass rates. Yeah, well, it's just too soon to know, right? But uh, I love the direction right. you're headed. It makes complete sense. Uh, so does. let's go to uh, Stephanie. Stephanie, Stone Creek, as I mentioned, they've been a leader in sort of their military efforts, and y'all do such an awesome job uh, with the program every year on Veterans Day. Can you tell the audience kind of what that looks like and what's involved and uh, give a description that everybody can uh, learn from? Well, sure. Stone Creek um, developed a Salute Our Soldiers campaign several years ago. It was an inspiration of our general manager, Larry Connors. Um, he decided that he not only wanted to show support for our military and our veterans inside the club, but he wanted to also create a visual display that our community could benefit from, and that would be a conversation starter in our community. So the the Salute Our Soldiers fundraising campaign is designed to have our members and members of the community sponsor a tribute flag. And each flag is adorned with a yellow ribbon where the purchaser or the sponsor can customize uh, a tribute to a family member, as, as all of you would, I imagine, or, um, or just a general note of thanks or support to our military. Those flags are then planted along our property line um, the week of or the week before Veterans Day for a seven to 14 day display that's public um, and invites people from the community to come in to get involved, to show their support. But we've also found that it's been a great conversation starter as we see people, grandparents with grandchildren walking along the, the grass by the side of the road, reading the individual tributes. So, um, and, an opportunity for people to share their experiences with service or their family's history and legacy, you know, and perhaps those conversations wouldn't have happened otherwise. So it, it's been a, a beautiful tribute on many fronts. It's meaningful to our members who support us year after year, our corporate sponsors who are continuing to surprise us with their support, even during tough times as these this year, um, but to our community as well. It's something that people look forward to seeing every year. Yeah, I remember the visual display, and I wish we had pictures to show uh, the audience, but how many flags on average do you sort of put out there each year over the last several years? We started with 500, and each year it continues to grow. Uh, we also have a, a trail now that surrounds our property, and so we've, we've included flags along our fitness trail as well as another reminder and another visual display. So I think at last count we're over 800. Um, and so it really is an impressive sight along the, the stretch of road on our property line. Yeah, that's great. Um, and Blair, what about the works? Sort of how, what is the works done related to the military in your community? I know you've got the legacy of your father. That's a, a you know, a continual reminder of how important that is. 
You got any uh, advice or, you know, things that uh, people in the audience might learn from about dealing with the military people in in your local area? Yeah, so in a smaller community, more isolated, and what we do is we, we just give free memberships to any active duty military. We also uh, provide memberships for their spouses. And in, in, in fact, this, this flag here, um, this flew over uh, Camp Patriot during Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, and that's when we were at Gold's Gym to honor uh, Gold's Gym because um, the, uh, the commander there was from here and we made sure that his spouse had a membership. By the way, that all started when we had um, years ago, a spouse say that she had to cancel her membership. Uh, her husband was called out to active duty. And so we we told her she couldn't, that she could only cancel her dues. And so then we made that just a regular part of our culture. We still do it to this day. When the recruiters come in for the different branches, they know that they have, they have a membership. We just, we provide it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I really like the fact, Blair, that uh, to your point, it's not just for the service member, but also for their spouse, especially yeah. during deployments. If you've ever been part of a family that's experienced the deployments, you know how hard it is on the people that are still here. And we emphasize that so much, that part of it so much. Whoever's still at home when somebody's deployed, you know, make sure that they have, that they're taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, great. And Bill, what, what, what about active? Well, I was just going to say that in some markets, it might be difficult to give a free membership to military and their families based on the population that you're serving. Like if you're right outside a base at Fort Bragg or Pope Air Force Base, and you rely on a tremendous amount of your customer base to be the military, you may not be able to give free membership. So if you're not in a position based on population to give free, at least consider a hero rate, a discount that's substantial and helpful, you know, so, um, you know, we all know Blair does everything perfect in his clubs, right? Yeah. That's the highest bar. But if you can't can't give it free to the military, at least give a good discount and a hero rate. Yeah. So one of, one of the things I, I wanted to emphasize there is that we're a smaller, isolated community, right? I mean, we're not by a base, right? So that's what enables us to be able to do that. Exactly. Yeah. But there, there's one other point. In military towns, there's businesses that surround themselves around the military just to serve the military, sometimes to take advantage of the military. Um, I mean, uh, sometimes they're almost parasitic. You know, they're, they're preying on that customer base, sometimes harsh sales tactics with the young soldiers, things like that. Um, so you've got the military, which is like its own city if there's a base. Then you've got businesses that are catering to it. And then you've got these civilian businesses. And I think if you're a civilian business in a military area, you got to think inclusion. You don't want to think townies versus soldiers. Like sometimes, especially in southern southern areas, sometimes there's a divide between the military base and the civilian uh, natives. And so having a culture of inclusion, if you're a civilian business in a military community, is step one. Yeah, good talk. Good thought. Stephanie, how does the Stone Creek Club and Spa sort of address all that on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, we certainly treat our military and first responders to our best um, enrollment fee savings. Uh, and from time to time, we have, we have some younger folks, college-age kids primarily, who um, come here for some training to prepare for um, their enlistment in the service. So 
we always cater to those uh, short-term or temporary memberships with some savings as well. Um, access to our pool is in high demand, especially because it's temperature maintained year round. So they enjoy not having to get in the frigid waters here. Um, but the, the training aspect of the club, I, I think has been important to, to several um, as they prepare to start their career. So we're happy to be a part of it in any way that we can. Great. I have a question from the audience, uh, and maybe this is uh, for any of you to answer. And the question is, are we aware of the Department of Private Fitness, the military outreach program set up by one source where they pay for the membership for recruits and a portion of spouse and families? Anybody on the call heard of such a thing? I have not. Help me. Yep. I uh, have heard of there, there is an option um, that you know our uh, active soldiers use in remote locations. Um, typically, it's through the YMCA, but I don't. It could be other organizations, but they do offer a free membership if we are not located within a certain distance from an active duty installation for active duty soldiers that are okay. you know, located locations. I'm. I'm forgetting the organization that does that, but um, I do know throughout my career that's been an option for me when I wasn't on an active duty installation. Okay, all right, very good. Thanks, Mary. So mm -hmm. um, to kind of segue a little bit, um, this is a little broader discussion, I guess, but uh, we mentioned before that the Rex Roundtables, which is a group that uh, Blair, Bill, myself, and Stephanie's organization uh, are a part of, and we've done some battlefield leadership training uh, to learn some military lessons in leadership, if you will, that translate to the entrepreneurs and the business owners that are part of those groups. And so my question uh, maybe to Mary and Kevin is about some of the leadership lessons you think that are really driven home and part of the culture of military that you think translate very well you know, to the corporate world. If you could name uh, two or three of those sort of leadership traits and things that uh, both you personally believe in and you've seen so effective that you think uh, we could learn from. Uh, I guess I'll lead Kevin. Sure. Um, so um, really, it's it's about setting setting an example for our soldiers um, and following our army values. And we do have seven army values to follow. And, and it really, and it's when no one's looking, it's doing the right thing. Um, and if we we can link all of that into our our new fitness test, it has been a huge leadership challenge army wide. Um, the change is always uncomfortable, no matter what you're doing. Change in leadership, change in our jobs. We move every couple of years. Um, and now a huge change in our fitness test. So as leaders, it's important that we embrace that change and influence that throughout the ranks so that our subordinates are doing the same. Okay. That's great. Yep, that definitely translates over to any area of leadership. I appreciate that, Mary. Kevin? Yeah, I would just add to, you know, the Army is a, a team sport. And uh, I think kind of rule number one for me is you've got to build the team. And that's the uh, most important part. Uh, secondly, you've got to empower your subordinates. So the Army is very big on um, pushing responsibility down to the lowest level. So we've got uh, young sergeants, E5s, 
that are in charge of millions of dollars of, of equipment and and uh, maybe a squad of, of uh, 12 individuals. So, you know, we really empower our subordinates to um, to meet the, the objectives that uh, that we set for them. And then I think, uh, you know, lastly, it's it's about um, building trust in the organization. Everyone's got to believe that what you say is true. And, um, you know, if, if you give a report, it's, it's an accurate report. So I think kind of those three uh, principles have, have uh, served me well over the last several years in the Army and uh, might be relevant for, for uh, the fitness industry. Great. Great. Bill? Brent, can I ask Mary and Kevin a question? Uh, I don't want to leave this topic, yes, but you can. It's kind of related, but, uh, but I'll wait. It's, about, it's on mental wellness, so let me know when I can ask it. Okay. First, I want your feedback, Bill and Blair, and Stephanie, certainly you could jump in. But again, I referenced we've had military, quote, leadership training. And I know some things are jumping in both of your minds like they are mine, but if you had one or two things that continue to resonate with you from things that Jim Zupel has taught us or battlefield leadership, or in, in both of your cases, your fathers, what are, what are a couple of those things that just jump to mind as far as leadership lessons from a military basis that we can apply? So I, I mean, a couple of things are jumping to mind, both as Mary and Kevin are talking here, right? Because there's so much, that we sort of uh, take for granted as we learn about business, whether it's through battlefield leadership or the books that we read from, you know, Peter Drucker to Ram Sharan, and so many of their concepts come from military, right. right? So much of that comes from military, and you think about the history of military, like, you know, like the term VUCA that we use all the time, right? The volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, and then what Kevin just said about pushing empowerment down. You know, this is something that this is this is something that we have pushed so much is, you know, in our worlds, we have a lot of moving pieces in our worlds that represents our VUCA. Right. And that and that and that's accelerating. We're getting more and more of that in this existing environment. And the way that we deal with that in business is you push empowerment down. It's so so many businesses, I think, still try to take information and move information up to the top of the food chain so that the top of the food chain makes decisions and then pushes those down to the front line. And I, I just think that's a, I think that's a bad recipe for delivering on great brand promises. To me, that's like one of the single biggest things. And now I'm thinking about things like commander's intent, right? right. Be clear on commander's intent, empower the front lines, make sure they know your values so that when they act, they're not gonna act just like you did, they might act way better than you would have because they're right there and they can see what's happening. And that's how you that's how you can be very flexible and move and have your strategy actually play out where you're not trying to control all the damn tactics. And that's the thing where I see a lot of companies fail in delivering excellence is they try to control all the damn tactics from a central spot instead of trying to understand the strategy, be very crystal clear on the strategy in a way that people can interpret their actions at the front. So, and it's amazing as we're talking through this, almost everything we try to deploy or try to execute on has some sort of background in, in military. And yeah. probably goes right back to West Point at some point. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, Bill, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, jokingly walk fast and carry a clipboard, right? Like uh, <laughs> you know, have confidence, have confidence and certainty, uh, uh, but you know, seriously, one of the things about my dad was he was a great simplifier, 
you know, you throw all this stuff with your problem at him, like, okay, I, I got debt and I got this and this because this happened. This, and he was just a master at just boiling it down to the most simplest issue. And when you simplify, you get more clarity, right? And and that clarity, you know, um, you know, builds a, builds an easier solution. And we all tend to complicate our stories, right? So, you know, the simplification of, of, of issues and problems. And then the last thing is, my dad was really big about give more than you take. Um, you know, if you do, if you generate more income for your employer than you make, you'll always have a job. You know, in the military, if you give more than you take, you'll always have that trust. And, um, and I just love the philosophy of the military. It's not perfect, but a soldier is a soldier is a soldier. There's not Republicans, Democrats. There's not blacks and whites. I mean, there is still some of that, but you're relying on someone else for your safety and your outcome, and they're relying on you. And so I love that um, the, the aspirational and execution of that, uh, you know, we're soldiers, you know, and, and, we, and we have to take care of each other because if, if one of us is a weak link, other people can die and bad things happen. Um, so, you know, the idea of that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves and we've got to take care of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And not only, you know, those race uh, potential barriers, but also age and gender crosses yeah. all of it, right? Everybody's got to do their job. Yeah. Yep. Stephanie, you want to add anything to that before we move on to the next little subject? I just like to echo what Mary said at the beginning about leading by example. Um, and that's something that you've touched on, Brent, in seminars of yours that I've attended too. It's, you know, there, there's a time behind the closed doors where the leaders in any organization uh, flush out different opinions, different tactics, different strategies. But when that leadership team emerges, um, it needs to be unified because all of the people beneath us are, are looking for a unified vision, a unified plan and strategy. And, and that's where the multiple opinions cease and the unity begins so that the company, the organization has uh, a clear path of moving forward with one voice. Um, and and I, I think that that speaks to leading by example, uh, as Mary spoke about earlier. Great. Okay, uh, I got to go back to uh, Bill first, Blair, because I promised him I'd come back to him. <laughs> I just, yeah, just real, real quick. I love Kevin and Mary's comments on this. Like the whole world right now is facing a, a situation with increased suicide, increased isolation, increased depression. You in the military, you know, I think suicide is the 10th largest cause of death for the civilian population or population at large. I think it's much higher in the military. It could be the second highest cause of death. Um, are you guys doing anything with PTSD, isolation, depression, you know, suicide in the fitness realm? And are there lessons that we can learn on a broader scale in, in the fitness industry? Because this seems to be a, a massive problem right now. Brent and I and Blair, we refer to it as mental, mental wellness, not necessarily mental health, but mental wellness. Like how do we get out of this loop of, of all this, uh, negativity and stress and the military has you know, increased aspects with PTSD, combat, so on and so on. Do you guys have thoughts on the mental wellness aspects of this physical fitness area that you're both involved in so heavily? Yeah, um, Bill, I would say that, you know, the Army is is um, um, challenged by the issues that you mentioned. And I think, you know, there, there's lots of literature that, that shows that aerobic exercise has positive aspects on a person's uh, mental health and wellness. Um, so along with aerobic activity, uh, the Army is also putting 
occupational therapists, army occupational therapists down at brigades, in brigades where they're in close proximity to soldiers to help them um, with PTSD and uh, those types of issues. Uh, we're also putting cognitive enhancement specialists or sports psychologists down in close proximity to soldiers to, to uh, help them with um, uh, things like goal setting and um, you know, thinking through problems rather than letting them uh, escalate. You know, the neat thing about the Army is it's, you know, we work on a chain of command system. So everybody's got a, a battle buddy, uh, a soldier to their left or right that, uh, you know, they talk to every day. Um, they check in on every day. Uh, those battle buddies have a, a team leader who's responsible for them. Team leaders have squad leaders who are responsible for them and platoon sergeants and platoon leaders and so on up, up the chain. So I feel like personally that uh, soldiers have um, a pretty good support structure in place now. Um, every unit has a, a chaplain that uh, is is always available 24-7 uh, to talk to. Um, so, so those are just my initial thoughts. But but it is a challenge, uh, but I think we are um, working very, very hard to, to combat the, the dangers. Thanks. All right, Blair. Well, um, it, it, it's uh, interesting, just this thing on uh, just talking about PTSD. And actually, before you brought that up, this was, um, you know, we've been saying that we feel like we wake up, you know, we feel like we're waking up in a fight every day in our industry right now. You know, that what's the next, you know, piece of crap article that's going to come out that's going to throw us in some, but like yesterday, right? Or, you know, what's going to be mandated by our state? What kind of fear do we have of getting shut down? And how do we get members? It's, it's all of that. And you feel it's stressful. And I, I described it to my team as, you know, you walk into a warehouse that has a lot of really crappy fluorescent lights in it and they buzz and you walk in there and you think, my God, that's awful. Ten minutes later, you don't hear it until you shut them off. And I, but it's having an effect on you. I guarantee it's having an effect on your psyche, your stress level, everything. And I feel like that's what's kind of happened in, in, in the world continuously right now. And if you kind of feel it when you go into your own gym and try to do your own workout, God, I got to go talk to them about mass and and so there's this constant kind of white noise going on. And and, and I feel like that the, the consumer and those of us in operations, you know, I won't go as far as saying PTSD, right? But there's gonna be some mild, there's gonna be some repercussions of this for a long time. Read an article years ago based on research on PTSD. And I've witnessed this where I travel with my dad. They were in battle 1951, chosen reservoir to this day two years apart, they walk in, they see each other, it's like a day hasn't passed. And there's something phenomenal about that. And there's something about that uh, toiling together um, that has value to it. And, and if you can bring your team together and let them fight this fight, but, but be close, but be close and toil together through this, I promise there will be a, a lot of value. I'll finish with what this, with what this research said. They compared, PTSD for women that have been raped to PTSD for men and women that have been in combat. And they said the men and women that have been in combat could find value from the combat. They had camaraderie. They had things that they could look at that say, you know, we're good about this. Women that have been raped, they didn't have that. And they compared how much harder the PTSD was to overcome in those areas. So I would say like right now, we need to find the good things of our teams being able to toil together so that when you come out the other side of this, there might be a, 
there might be a lot more connectivity and closeness that comes out of that. Yeah, yeah, well said. Well said. So, um, Frank, yes, can I Mary, add on? Yes, please. And you know, the Army's big Army's focus right now is, is all about people. And the pandemic has, you know, it's, it's certainly not, it's, it, we, it's had a huge effect on, on us as, as it has, you know, in, uh, in the civilian entities as well. Um, so we've, we've added to, um, our, I guess you could call it our battle rhythm or our senior leaders are going out and having discussions with, right, the, the hard, hard type of conversations with our, um, younger soldiers just to kind of, you know, check on them and make sure they're okay. Uh, allow them an environment to speak freely with no repercussions and, and just for them to get it out if there's anything that's on their mind. Yeah, great. So uh, before we wrap up, we got about uh, a little over 10 minutes. Uh, Kevin, maybe I'll direct this question to you. You know, there's been a lot of uh, research and data coming out about COVID and different uh, populations that are at risk of contracting COVID and how severe their symptoms might be. One of the things you just don't hear the community talking about, certainly elected officials at all, is that it's really people with underlying conditions and those underlying conditions often are preventable, right? It's like obesity, physical inactivity, smoking, those populations are more at risk of getting COVID and most certainly more at risk of dying from COVID. What's sort of the military take around COVID and uh, the immunity spectrum? Uh, yeah, good question, Brent. Um, you, you know, I'll answer this, I think, by going back to the uh, Army Combat Fitness Test. Uh, several weeks ago, we were up at West Point watching a, um, oops, had a little, Malfunction here. Okay. So several weeks ago, we were up at West Point watching an Army combat fitness test. And, you know, at West Point, they administer it uh, to the standard. It was about a thousand cadets taking this test. And, you know, there's they're moving through all this equipment, hex bars, plates, sleds, kettlebells. Uh, they're on the, the pull-up bar doing leg tucks. They're in close proximity. But um, during events that... Uh, that required uh, the mask to be off, the mask was off, but during the events where they could do the event with the mask on, it was on. They had uh, cleaning folks that would uh, clean the equipment after each person went through, um, all in, a, and, and you know, they kept the distance spread. So all in an attempt to prevent uh, COVID from, from sp spreading in that close population. You know, you've got 4,000 cadets living in close proximity and, and uh, one case of COVID would, would be uh, disastrous. So. They were, we had very, very good um, mitigation strategies in a test like that. I think, um, you know, once once a soldier does um, get COVID, they're isolated and we follow pretty strict protocols to ensure that uh, that soldier is safe, their family is safe, and the, and the unit is kept safe. So, um, you know, I think that's how I'd answer the question. We, uh, we're not perfect. Uh, we do have uh, cases that are out there, but... Uh, we are working really, really hard to prevent uh, prevent the spread. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. Thank you for that. Um, and 
so when we talk about that, uh, Blair, do you or Bill have anything you want to add in to, to what Kevin was saying about, you know, the risk of COVID? Again, it's something that we just don't hear that much about. We know it in the health and fitness industry, but I really can't hardly think of a single article that's come out encouraging people to lead a healthier lifestyle, perhaps to lose some weight, to be more active to prevent COVID. It's all about social distancing, physical distancing, wearing masks but there's no emphasis on well-being. Yeah, I mean, there's just an emphasis on saying that gyms are like restaurants and bars, evidently, so far, uh, without without any acknowledgement about the increase in your immune system you get immediately after doing moderate exercise. So, I don't know, I I feel like this is gonna be a a challenge for us and, um, and part of the job of our industry to get the messaging right around this. And not just around COVID and immunity, but everything, all of our messaging, because this is this too shall pass, right? This is going to go away at some point, and and, uh, and we just need to be in a much better spot because of it. But uh, yeah, it's 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 that's a, it's been immensely frustrating. Yeah, yeah. nobody. Yeah, Bill, may you want to add yeah. on to that? Yeah, it's it's this continuum of mixed messages, right? You have on one spectrum, you know, like we always do, extreme, right? Hey no problem lead your life nothing's to worry about herd immunity will be okay and then you got the other don't leave your house you know if you must leave your house walk outside alone don't go anywhere else right and and so and the answer is in the middle and um you know use precaution go to a reputable establishment that cares about it but you've got to have physical activity and socialization to have mental wellness and to have physical immune system response and and so you know we're um the data is there, right? Isolation, depression, suicide, drug addiction, opioid use, alcoholism, hostility, aggression, domestic violence, all up, right? It's not an accident. It's up because people are isolated without social interaction and physically not moving and getting those chemical responses. So, um, you know, it's um, it's this it's this extreme continuum and the answer's in the middle and we got to keep giving that message, you know, that, we're doing the right thing. You got to be cautious. You got to be safe. You got to be prudent. You got to have the protocols, but you can't shut people out of physical activity and socialization without having harmful effects. Right. Yeah, I agreed. Uh, completely agreed. And Stephanie, I know the messaging at clubs uh, has been discussed quite a bit. You know, what's the right messaging right now? Is it still focused on being safe, being clean, being sanitary? Or is it shifting more toward the promotion of health and immunity and the fact that uh, being active is such a, a big part of the solution of your health and well-being? Where does sort of Stone Creek land on that right now? Are you staying more toward the safe or is it sort of a combination message? Where are you headed? I think right now it's a balancing act. I think the industry as a whole has has really tried to stand on our, our soapbox with our megaphones and promote the industry as preventative. This is not an industry of vanity, um, you know, as, as we had the bad rap decades ago. And, and that has, you know, come through the, the attempts to get the FIT Act passed and for Americans to really see fitness and wellness as essential, not elitist, not about the physical results, but about the, the actual physical health, the mental well-being, the emotional health. I think the current pandemic is just yet another example of, of a way that our industry 
should be looked at as essential. Um, you know, we've, we've touted that we are not a part of the problem, we are a part of the solution. In our communications to members, I think we're, we're playing a really delicate balancing act, um, as, as Bill said, to kind of strike a, a chord in the middle of both extremes, because all of us in our facilities have members um, on both sides uh, of that spectrum. And so we're trying to be responsible, we're trying to be respectful, um, and we're, we're trying to communicate that we are doing everything possible um, to create the best experience and environment, the one that our members deserve and expect, and one that they should embrace, again, as an essential part of their lives and of their well-being. Um, but being cautious about fatigue around the matter as well. It's something that we can't afford to let up on, but we also want people to feel a sense of uh, any kind of sense of normalcy, I think, at this point, or return to familiarity. So every day is a every day is a juggle, and every image before we put out is scrutinized to the nth degree, um, so that we can do our best to uh, to portray the right message and the right image. But again, it's that we are a part of the solution, and we are essential to our country's well-being, and we're ready. We're ready to take that role. Right. Yeah. Great. Great words, Stephanie. Kevin. Brent. Brent. Can I just add? Um, I totally agree with Stephanie and Bill and uh, Blair. Certainly, uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, as, as on one October, the first of October of this year, the Army just rewrote its uh, field manual. It's called 7-22 Holistic Health and Fitness. So really, for the first time ever, the Army's focused on the physical domain, but also the non-physical domains like sleep and like nutrition and mental and spiritual readiness. So I, I really think it's about uh, improving soldiers health and uh, wellness and and uh, kind of tied into just like everyone else said but you know the army's it's h2f is the acronym for holistic health and fitness but the army's h2f system is really uh, designed to enhance a soldier's uh, health and wellness and ultimately the the readiness of our army so, okay so wait so it's a uh, 7-222 h and f something else what? yeah 7-2 yeah 7-22 field manual 7-22 holistic health and fitness and um, if, if you want to get a copy of it, I can, I can certainly share the, the link with you. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, our audience would probably love to see it. So we'll pass yeah. it on to them if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we got just a couple minutes. I'd like to wrap it up this way. Uh, I, I'm going to give Kevin and Mary a chance, if you don't mind, to go first and maybe share, you know, with the audience. If you had, a, you know, a request or just a message, maybe perhaps that you'd like to give, you know, to the community of health clubs out there related to the military. What might that message be? Mary, you want to go first? Okay. Um, I, I really just want to thank thank you all for having us and thank all the facilities for the support that they're providing to um, you know our soldiers around around the really the world. Um, it's it's a great benefit to. The, the overall readiness of our of our army. So I do thank you for that. All right. Well, thank you, Mary. Thanks for being on today. Kevin? Yeah, I, I'd uh, also echo Mary's comments. You know, thanks for having us on this Veterans Day. It's um, it's an honor to wear the uniform of our country. And I, I think I speak for, for all the soldiers in the army when I say that. Um, you know, we're just a reflection of society and, and it's it's our privilege to, to serve our country. Um, We've been deployed, you know, the Army's been in combat for the last nearly 20 years, 
And it is challenging when soldiers serve overseas. Um, and it's also challenging for their families back home. So I certainly applaud the, the fitness industry for, for helping out uh, in any way they can to support soldiers and their families. But uh, it's our privilege to be here today. And, and thanks again for having us. Right, well, thank you again. Uh, and then uh, for our other panelists, if, if maybe we could uh, let you uh, express a parting message to our military men and women serving around the world and uh, sort of our closing today. Stephanie, do you want to start, please? Sure, I'd be happy to. What I didn't get to say in my little introduction is that my grandfather was a World War II veteran. So it's it's a couple generations removed, but something that, that I think you know, is important to all of us on this panel today and obviously all of the attendees as well. Um, so all of us at Stone Creek and, and myself and my family wish to extend our gratitude. And I'd like to close by challenging operators out there to take a, a little bit of a look at our salute. And if it's something that inspires you to get more involved in, in those fundraising efforts, to please reach out, check our website, email me, We've picked some great charities. I know that there are a lot of worthy charities that help military and veterans and their families. Um, uh, if you're looking for some inspiration, we've chosen three this year, fantastic charities, and you can find out more on our website or by reaching out to me, but I'd be happy to share the secret to our salute. And we, we hope that more and more clubs will continue to join us in this effort every year across the country. And Stephanie, you've got already uh, something written up about it, I believe, because I've worked with you in the past. Can you share that with Rachel and she can put it up in the follow email that we send out? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, great. Okay. Who wants to go next there, Blair or Bill? Go ahead, Bill. I have two things. Remember that this is a volunteer, volunteer military. Um, you know, our military, they don't make crazy, crazy money. They do it out of love for country and, and they protect our freedom. So just make sure you, you remember that as a civilian out there. And the second thing is visit your local VA. Go volunteer at your local VA. Have your staff, members, encourage visitation, encourage volunteerism with the VA. Um, our veterans made an ultimate sacrifice in so many ways and a lot of them didn't come home, but those that came home, you know, they're, uh, they've got their struggles. Just, you know, do your part with the VA and the military community at large. And thank you, uh, Kevin and Mary. And uh, if you're in a small community, go talk to the recruiters, see how you can help the recruiters. That's a big deal. And anything you can do uh, to help with the recruiters and with the people that they're talking to, uh, there's always some level that you can participate in. I don't care uh, what community you're in. And thank you to all our veterans out there. Yeah, and I'll, I'll close us up uh, with a similar comment, uh, just encouraging the listeners, you know, as we look back and we think about uh, the generation that Bill's dad was in and Blair's dad was in and Stephanie's grandfather was in, it was a different time uh, during that era you know, a large, large, like 80% of the Americans had some direct relationship familiar-wise with someone in the military, a father, a brother, grandfather, sister, something that was serving in the military. And today that number is significantly lower. 
and people lack that direct familial connection and therefore they may not be as you know engaged and aware of our military so just remember even though you don't have a direct connection a lot of people do and uh, be supportive of them that's what i would uh, just encourage the audience so thanks all of you again for joining us especially our guests stephanie kevin mary it's a pleasure having all of you thanks to all of you for joining us once again uh celebrate uh, veterans day appropriately today and next week uh, will be the last edition of the webinar, at least for the remainder of this year. Uh, Bill Blair and I will be here. Uh, we're going to have a little fun with it next week. So come back and join us, uh, if you will. Until then, be the salt and the light. See you then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.